Support for WAER Original Podcasts comes from California Closets of Syracuse, located in DeWitt. California Closets can help you get your entire home organized with custom-designed storage solutions for the home office, kitchen pantry, closets, and more. Online at californiaclosets.com. There are times that we can look back on in kind of historic representations of trans people that maybe were flawed in, in serious ways, but also sympathetic in ways that uh, our modern sensibilities sometimes feel surprising looking historically. On January 10th, 2022, just a little over a year ago, Michaela J. Rodriguez became the first trans actress to win a Golden Globe for portraying Blanca Evangelista in the hit TV series Pose. Only seven years earlier in 2015, Laverne Cox became the first trans woman to win an Emmy for her work as executive producer for Laverne Cox Presents the T-Word. To date, no openly trans actor or creator has won an Oscar. This omission in awards season is, of course, only the tip of the iceberg when it comes to Hollywood's failure of the trans community. Popular films and television shows have routinely depicted trans individuals as dangerous, crazy, or as objects of ridicule. However, as creators like Rodriguez, Cox, and others begin creating their own projects and receiving recognition, there may be signs that the tide is turning. I'm Kendall Phillips, and on this episode of Pop Life, we'll be considering the representation of trans people in popular culture. Here to help us explore this topic is Dr. T.J. Billard, a professor of communication studies at Northwestern University and executive director for the Center for Applied Transgender Studies. T.J., welcome to Pop Life. Thanks for having me. So uh, so excited to have you on the show because I definitely think, uh, to my view, the changing representation of, of queer individuals, of non-binary and trans folks has, has been fairly dramatic. But I want to start back with the past, which I, my sense is pop culture has not done a great job servicing and representing the trans community. Do you share that view? I would say definitely. I think, you know, when we think about what pop culture has tended to focus on in terms of audience demographics and kind of representational norms, uh, trans people, like people of color, like really anything that deviates from the white, cis, straight, Christian mainstream, you know, your representation is not going to be great. Um, and that has kind of historically been the case. That said, I don't necessarily know that it's easy to kind of plot a kind of linear upswing, right, where it was bad and now it's good. Um, I think that there's a lot of complexity to that question. Um, I think, you know, there are times that we can look back on in kind of historic representations of trans people that maybe were were flawed in, in serious ways, but also sympathetic in ways that uh, from modern sensibilities sometimes feel surprising looking historically, um, while at the same time we, you know, have increases in, in trans representation uh, today and in, in fact increases in, in, in substantively good representations, uh, we might think, um, that are also happening amid some of the worst targeted uh, political um, attacks on trans people that we've seen. So the you know, the historical lens is, is a little bit murky there about, you know, where bad and good come in 
Um, but we've certainly seen increases in the quantity of trans representations in pop culture, um, and we've certainly seen um, tonal shifts, I guess I'll say, in how trans people are represented, where um, even if representations were sometimes good before, they tended to be um, more confined to comedic arenas or to arenas where trans people were curiosities, and we don't have necessarily that now. Um, but so that tone shift is not always the same as, you know, quality shift. Uh, sure, sure. Yeah, it's a good reminder that culture rarely moves in that kind of linear, oh, we were good and now we're bad. Much more complexly. We're so lucky. <laughs> would, would that it, well, if it was going the right direction, I suppose. Um, absolutely. So let's, going back to this, sticking with history for a minute. Um, so give me some examples, if you would, of, of what you see as, you know, more complex or sympathetic portrayals from the history of pop culture. Any of those examples that pop to mind as surprisingly sympathetic or empathetic portrayals? Yeah, I think one of the things that, and this is kind of at the mix of um, news and pop culture, but when we look at the media circus that surrounded Christine Jorgensen in the early to mid-1950s, who was the first um, white uh, trans woman, to kind of, excuse me, to kind of receive widespread uh, public attention for uh, undergoing gender confirmation surgery in Denmark and then coming to the United States. Um, a lot of it was kind of shockingly respectful. You know, when I show students what the headlines looked like, and some of them are a little bit weird, you know, XGI becomes blonde beauty. Uh, you know, maybe <laughs> it's not totally something that would go today, but you read the article, you read the headline, and it is fundamentally affirming of her identity and talks about the kind of post-war atomic age marvels of science and how they can now, uh, you know, make this type of identity possible. And they refer to her as Christine and with uh, feminine pronouns the whole way through. And you, we might be shocked to be like, really, 1952? That was what was happening. Um, and, you know, over the course of her life until she died, Christine Jorgensen was frequently on daytime talk shows and things like that, where, um, as I said earlier, there's maybe this kind of curiosity quality to it that is sometimes a little invasive, but it was like kind of fundamentally affirming of, of who she was. And we can look at other types of representation that uh, in pop culture, from our perspective, we maybe would kind of cringe at uh, today, uh, whether they were kind of explicitly trans, uh, like in uh, films like The Crying Game, uh, or a little bit more recently than that, um, uh, uh, like Trans America and, oh, sure. and, and films like that from the early 2000s, um, where there are qualities to them that are kind of not great. Um, and, you know, we can look at even... Uh, ways that we might read transness in in stories like Tootsie, right? Where like sure. reading it from that perspective, not necessarily great um, narratives around trans people, um, but we know that they also open up kind of slivers of possibility for audiences um, when they start thinking about gender in different ways, when they start seeing trans people as something that exists and, um, and that alone, you know, at certain points in history was revolutionary. Uh, and we even know that, you know, from audience research with trans people, a lot of them looked at media representations that we would now go, oh my God, that was horrible. And it was actually inspiring to them uh, at the time where they were like, oh, 
this is a model of like what I can be. I can become this. This isn't just this interior feeling that I have that I don't see out in the world and I don't understand. Like, oh, there are models of possibility here and they read into these characters qualities that they do identify with while, you know, leaving at the door the ones that they don't. Um, and so uh, there's really a lot of um, a kind of complexity around the idea of good in the past, where even things that necessarily um, are bad from our lens were maybe good at the time for trans people uh, themselves. No, it's interesting. As, as I was getting ready for this show a, a few weeks ago, uh, I happened to be flipping through the channels and ran across a film from the early 80s that I'm sure I saw but had, had forgotten, The World According to Garp, which is early Robin Williams film. Uh, and in it, John Lithgow portrays a trans woman. And I, I the same, my initial thought was, oh, I've this is going to be cringe and painful. And yet, to your point, as much as I'm sure there were problems with that betrayal, ultimately the character was never the object of ridicule, was immediately embraced by the family, was sort of a, a key character with their own agency and their own arc. And I thought, that's surprising given my assumption that most of past media has given a negative, harsh portrayal of trans individuals. But I do wonder, are these the exceptions in some ways? Because I do, I feel like it's easier for me to start laying down examples from the past of much more negative, much more damaging portrayal of trans individuals in pop culture. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's definitely, um, you know, sympathetic portrayals were definitely exceptional. Um, where where there's a little bit of um, a kind of a question mark over that is in large part the the damage done to trans people in media for a long time was not just bad presence, which I'll return to in just a second, but was also just like the lack of presence, mm. the absence of transness. And so there is, uh, that kind of double bind where sometimes the lack of acknowledgement of your existence can be worse as a trans person than things that are flawed. And that's not to say that things that are bad are better than absence, but things that are flawed but have qualities to them that can be, you know, selectively engaged with. Uh, but there are definitely things that uh, have been really horrific, including very recently, historically speaking, if we look at, um, you know, Will and Grace, which was this, you know, progressive step forward for LG and maybe B uh, visibility, there was some really messed up um, representations of trans people in the show, such as uh, a case in which uh, a trans woman who the the uh, main characters assumed were was a cis woman, uh, was hired to perform as a stripper. Uh, and one of the characters, Jack, found himself aroused by this woman and was so repulsed that maybe he was a little bit heterosexual. And then the comedic reveal is actually, this was a trans woman who has a penis, so you're still gay, everything's fine. Um, <laughs> and obviously, uh, you know, kind of classic sitcom setup there, uh, the kind of bait and switch around that, but something that is just like, I mean, I don't have time to unpack how <laughs> profoundly messed up that narrative is. Uh, or we could see in, you know, in Friends, the running joke that runs for what all, uh, seemingly all 10 years of that show of Chandler's mother, uh, or sorry, Chandler's quote unquote father uh, being a 
trans woman uh, who, you know, uh, is kind of the shame of, of Chandler's life uh, that he has this trans um, parent uh, that he's embarrassed by. Um, and so, you know, those are uniformly bad, right? There is no goodness in that. What we get out of it is being trans is bad, being trans is mockable, being trans is something we should distance ourselves from. We should uh, distance ourselves from trans people in general. Um, and, you know, those types of narratives we wouldn't get today, uh, you know, unless we turn into Breitbart. So I, I do think, you know, there are certainly some, you know, qualitative improvements there. No, and heaven forbid we're not tuning into Breitbart. I hope no Pop Life listener would do that. I'm wondering as well about the other example that, that springs to my mind uh, was a film that was uh, lauded, won, won a lot of Academy Awards, The Silence of the Lambs, uh, that also uh, fell into a lot of controversy, including some uh, fairly vocal protests at the Academy Awards uh, for the sense or the perception that they were portraying transgender individuals as dangerous, as, as violent. Yeah, horror films in particular um, as a genre have had a fraught relationship uh, with gender variants, uh, we can say, but whether that's with Silence of the Lambs or um, Sleepaway Camp, or uh, we can even think about uh, in different ways, Psycho, right? The end where uh, he is kind of living as his mother um, and all of these different um, ways in which, you know, gender transgression is associated with kind of violent pathology, um, psychotic behavior and other things like that. Um, where, yeah, there is a, this kind of uh, fear of difference uh, that is manifested into a literal fear for, you know, the normative protagonist's life. Um, and that is something that, um, is perhaps more explicit in horror films than in other forms of films, but does continue kind of through narratives that are implicit in other places uh, in pop culture where um, there is that kind of um, fearful othering, uh, whether that's, you know, an idea of like, you know, uh, you discover that somebody you had romantic interest in was trans and now you must be fearful of what that means about yourself or what others will think of you or uh, anything like that. Um, or, you know, uh, shows like Law and & Order and, and criminal procedurals where we, uh, even in, in those cases, see uh, trans people as subjects of fear on the other side, as fear of people who are persistent victims, right? Who kind of violence follows them around like a cloud. And so if you're near them, you're at, in threat of that violence too. Um, and so there are definitely kind of genres of popular culture where, um, those types of damaging uh, narratives are really a lot more explicit. Now, and I'm wondering about, because I know a good deal of your work is, is around politics and political communication, so I'm wondering about the consequences of these popular culture representations. What's the consequence of either portraying trans individuals as the butts of jokes or as portraying them as dangerous or in a, always in a cycle of violence? Does that have real-world consequences for communities and people? Absolutely, it does. Um, and, and this is, you know, a little bit of um, kind of speculation from, from where we do have firm data. I uh, have not done a, a, a tremendous amount of research myself on the direct effects of sure. pop culture representation on politics. But we do know that popular culture has notable impacts on people's 
attitudes and opinions about social outgroups. Uh, and uh, that we have shown that that is true where it concerns trans people too. And politics and culture are not kind of distinct spheres, right? Um, we can think about this when we think about the extent to which um, what is popularly called like propaganda or you know mm. criminal procedural shows that are told from the perspective of the hero law enforcement or films that do the same and the way that affects the way the public thinks about the police in the real world, even though um, we might say that the police of the real world are often significantly less heroic than they are on television. Um, and the same goes for um, arenas like uh, trans politics, where the narratives and the images of trans people as threats, uh, as potential uh, actors uh, with violent or uh, or otherwise harmful intent, um, shapes the way that people think about trans people when it comes to politics. Right? The reason bathroom bills are the the kind of site of so much. Uh, political controversy about trans people has to do with a persistent cultural narrative that trans people and more specifically trans women are threats to other people's safety, right? And that narrative in politics didn't come from nowhere, right? We don't um, we don't have thoughts about other people being in bathrooms, right? Uh, we don't just generally fear that a serial killer will show up in the bathroom because uh, that's not a narrative, right? right. Uh, that we kind of persistently receive in culture. And we can think about it too when we think about transness as something that is pathologized and sexualized um, and how that then enters into the way that we have political conversations about, for example, trans youth, the other kind of arena uh, of, of trans rights that is kind of at the center stage of American politics right now. And we have people who are so intensely fearful of trans youth and what it means uh, for us to allow youth to be openly trans because we have fears about, uh, you know, in our cultural narratives about transness being something that is um, dark, that is twisted, that is uh, sexual, uh, and all of these things like that. And so there's absolutely really profound negative effects um, that these narratives uh, from pop culture have on politics. I'm a little more skeptical of whether the good narratives as directly translate uh, into positive political discourse. Um, but I, I think that indirectly there certainly is improvement, right? If you can watch a TV show every week where you see trans people um, and you come to understand trans people differently, those are maybe the people, fic fictional though they may be, that you think of when you consider um, the impacts that a certain policy would have. Um, and so if you're thinking about young trans people, you might be thinking of, you know, Nicole Maines uh, as sleeper in uh, Supergirl uh, instead of, you know, thinking about, you know, Buffalo Bill. And that might make you uh, perceive uh, the, um, the implications of trans youth uh, differently. But I'm wondering, you know, it is, it is you, you've kind of hit the, the nail uh, quite directly here in the problem of, of politics and popular culture in that we are in a moment, maybe you'll agree, where we do have a great deal more prominent, I will say positive or ambivalently positive uh, representations of trans individuals. I'm thinking of Pose. I'm thinking of shows like Euphoria. I'm thinking of people like Laverne Cox, where it's much more uh, prominent in pop culture. And yet we're also in a really 
reactive political moment where we have states passing laws about bathrooms, about schools, about agendas, et cetera, et cetera. How do you make sense of those two different currents of the culture? I mean, I do think in a lot of ways they they go hand in hand. Um, in some ways, I'm trying to think how to phrase them. In some ways, progress causes um, hmm. regression, sure, sure. Um, where the very progress that we see in popular culture is in some ways, and in politics, is in some ways what is instigating the... Um, kind of uh, intensity of the opposition that is happening in the political arena, right? Um, people were not thinking about trans people before because they were not seeing trans people before. Mm. And so they weren't thinking to pass laws about trans people <laughs> before. And uh, particularly, I think, when they do see, when by they, I mean people who oppose trans rights, when they do see what seems to them to be a a kind of overnight uh, explosion in the amount of visibility and the positivity of transgender visibility in culture, it causes them to fear uh, the loss of a status quo that they thought existed and they were comfortable with. And it incites them very quickly and very intensely into the opposition that we are seeing. And so, you know, visibility is a little bit of a, a double-edged sword there, um, where for the people who now um, think about themselves as trans allies because they have a generally liberal politics who wouldn't have thought about trans people at all, much less favorably before, that is a progress brought by visibility, but so too are the people who are now fearful of what it means for American society that transness is increasingly accepted and who feel this need to, to stop that progress at all costs. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I really do think they go hand in hand. I, I'm hopeful in the long term that one of those groups will uh, recede while the other uh, emerges uh, more successful, um, but that's also not a guaranteed outcome and that um, that requires a lot of work in culture uh, and in politics to kind of ensure that we arrive at the outcomes that that we want to. No, it's an interesting point that almost the action of making increasingly visible also creates this reaction. But I'm wondering about that work of pushing the culture, nurturing the culture, encouraging the culture to move to a more inclusive, accepting phase. Are there examples in contemporary, I guess I'll stick with popular culture initially, uh, are there examples in contemporary popular culture that you feel are pushing the culture in a positive direction or are creating positive, uh, inclusive uh, sort of messages? I mean, yes, I definitely think that um, that there are areas of popular culture that are um, having that are that are providing depictions of trans people that are positive and that do have positive effects for sure um and so the i do think one of the kind of reservations i have there is in the extent to which our media environment is different than it has historically been, where getting a trans person on television may once have meant that, you know, up to a third of the country was getting to meet a trans person right, right. in their living room every week. 
Um, and that's not necessarily the case now, right? Um, the, the, the numbers that pose can pull on FX are smaller than the numbers that Friends was pulling back in the day. Um, and Pose will never get those numbers, would never get those numbers, nothing gets those numbers. Um, and when you have a show like Pose that is so wonderful and rich in its uh, representation of trans identity, it's also a show that there's gonna be a lot of self-selection into or out of watching, right? The places where depictions are maybe going to be most impactful are where they are kind of circumstantial uh, and and that's not why people are watching the show, um, but even so, I you know I have some reservations based on some of the research that I've done about um, about how much impact kind of mass popular culture can have. I think it can have an impact, but um, particularly for certain groups of of people they view those representations and they view that as an agenda of the mass media, right? Mm. Or they view that as um, a, a Hollywood agenda, or they view that as um, this thing that is, uh, you know, happening in the big cities on the coast that they're now having shoved down their middle American throat or whatever. Um, and so a lot of the, the, the representation, whether it's media or not media, uh, that that have some of the largest impact, I think, are the places where people are made aware of the real trans people who exist in their own immediate social worlds, right? Where they come to think um, or come to see, oh, there are trans people in my community. This mm -hmm. isn't just something that happens on television or in movies uh, because it's trendy. Like, oh, there are real people um, who uh who experience the same world i do who live in the same places i do um who have the same needs wants and desires and so you know we've even seen that in activism where an increasing focus of trans activism has been on telling the stories of um non-fictional trans people right. um and and finding ways to do so um that are kind of embedded in the social worlds that they live in. Um, because that is really, I think, um, where a lot of transformative power exists because of the mistrust, uh, among other things, that exist between large swaths of the public and the industries that produce a lot of our mass media and our popular culture. No, it's interesting, just as, as mass media is increasingly everywhere on our phones, you know, in our pockets at all times, it's also for many parts of the population, something that they come to distrust. So where are people getting these real stories? I mean, I think that that's a fascinating uh, approach to, to quit focusing so much exclusively on the representation in the popular culture fictional world and focus more on the real world, real lives of trans individuals living next door, shopping at the same bakery, et cetera. Where are people accessing those stories? I mean, not to be like overly reductive because I, you know, nothing is ever as simple as I can say it in a sentence here. But I mean, there a lot of the representation that uh, people find themselves encountering trans people in are places like YouTube and Twitch and TikTok and places where their exposure is perhaps a bit in incidental mm. and where they are encountering trans people who are speaking as themselves, for themselves, about themselves. Um, and that has, um, I, you know, a, a very different um, 
quality to it than, uh, you know, seeing uh, Jeffrey Tambor playing a trans woman on Transparent on Amazon, right? right? If you're just scrolling through and you see, you know, some 22-year-old trans girl who lives in Cleveland who's talking about going to the mall, like, that's a very different um, experience to these kind of fictionalized narratives. And so, um, you know, while social media likes to be touted by some as this kind of panacea for for kind of um, self-representation, which it isn't uh, in a lot of ways um, for a lot of reasons, uh, including, you know, the harassment that people experience on the internet, among other things. But those are places where uh, there is a type of social encounter uh, with real people that I do think is qualitatively different than some of the other things that we get in pop culture. Sure. And I guess particularly for younger folks who, who are more uh, likely to use uh, some of these social media platforms. So looking forward, maybe this is a, a dangerous question to ask, uh, Professor Villard, but are you hopeful for the future, both in terms of pop culture representation as well as politics? Is, is there hope for the future or do you think we've got a, a long, tough struggle ahead? Well, I'm loath to make predictions because I hate being wrong, but <laughs> I will say I am cautiously optimistic some days. Um, I think that um, I have fears and concerns about um, about the nature of the attacks that trans people are under. Um, I think that the um, intensity of opposition that trans people are facing is for a lot of trans people making, kind of continuing on with the fight for progress unsustainable. Um, and, and I do worry about that because there is so little support and the dynamics of digital media do make um, the costs of visibility, I think a lot higher than maybe they have been uh, in other contexts. Um, but I also know that, um, you know, one of the greatest ways to measure the effects uh, or the effects of a social movement is uh, how intense its counter movements are. Uh, and if we can count on that, then geez, the trans movements be pretty successful. Um, so I, I, I do think that, um, that there is hope. I think part of what is needed to make sure that we continue this path of progress is that we need um, very serious changes in the way a lot of our communication infrastructure works, right? Um, it, it matters that misinformation and disinformation are running rampant with little uh, kind of meaningful uh, solutions on the platforms that most people get their information on, right? Um, and that is having a profound impact on uh, the conversations that are happening around trans people online in media and so on. Um, and, you know, no amount of good representation on TV shows is going to be able necessarily to overcome um, rhetoric that is circulating in communities that is based on um, deliberate uh, and sometimes uh, unintentional uh, misrepresentations of what trans identity is, of who trans people are, uh, of what transition-related healthcare is, et cetera. Um, and so I do think progress is possible uh, and I'm hopeful for it and I work every day for it, but I do think that it will require a lot of changes um, socially that extend beyond just 
trans representation. Absolutely. Good information is the key. And uh, TJ, you've certainly given us a vast amount of fabulous information and great uh, perspective here. And one of the ways we like to get a little more information from our guests here on Pop Life is talking a little about their pop culture loves and likes. And we begin that, TJ, with a little game we call the Fast Five. So I'm going to ask you uh, five slightly irreverent questions about pop culture, asking you an either-or question, ask you to follow your heart. We'll begin that with question number one, TJ. Going back to that groundbreaking series pose, which house would you have been more likely to root for? Would it have been House Abundance or House Ferocity? Oh, Abundance, absolutely. <laughs> a very a very good choice. Question number two, as I understand it, TJ, you are a, a bit of a fan of Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So would you rather have dinner with Lisa Vanderpump or a soiree with Sutton Stark? Ooh, very tough choice. But in 2023, I'm going to have to go with Sutton. Team Sutton all the way here on Pop Live as well. Question number three for you, sticking for a moment with Bravo. Uh, would you rather be sitting on the couch for Watch What Happens Live or toasting the new year with Andy Cohen and Anderson Cooper? Which of those events would you rather be part of? Oh, Watch What Happens Live. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I would love to be on the show. Question number four uh, for you, TJ. If you could sit down for a cup of coffee and a chat with one of these contemporary celebrities, would you choose Elliot Page, star of The Umbrella Academy, or Asia Kate Dillon from the hit show Billions? Ooh, let's go Asia Kate Dillon. I think that's a fabulous choice. Finally, question number five. Again, we've done a little bit of research, and as I understand it, you're a fan of the band Florence and the Machine. So which Florence and the Machine song would you choose if you had to cheer up a friend? Would you play them The Dog Days Are Over or Free? Oh, free. Absolutely. That always makes me happy. Brings a smile to my face. TJ, uh, one of the things we love to ask folks here on Pop Life is what is part of your pop life? What are you binging, listening to, loving in pop culture these days? Okay, so um, not intentionally keeping on the theme of trans representation, <laughs> but um, musically right now, I am obsessed with Ethel Kane, uh, a brilliant trans woman whose album uh, Preacher's Daughter last year uh, absolutely revolutionary. Uh, also a major uh, fan of Kim Petras, uh, wonderful German uh, trans pop star. Um, and television-wise, um, there seemed to be a season of it in some country constantly on. Uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, always <laughs> great fun. And uh, increasingly, though not always the case, uh, a great source of trans representation as well. And the trans girls on that show uh, consistently stay uh, proving trans excellence. That is brilliant. We will add those to our watch and listen uh, lists. Uh, Dr. T.J. Ballard has joined us from Northwestern University. Thank you so much for being with us, T.J. To our listeners, I'll say thank you for joining us in this conversation. And remember, if you have comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes, reach out to us on social media. We are at WAER on both Twitter and Instagram. And I will see you all next time. Thanks for listening to Pop Life, a production of WAER, Syracuse Public Media. You can find archived episodes at WAER.org. And don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen for automatic delivery of new episodes. Music